0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. Yes, Chuck, this is live. If you're here, you caught it live. I'm Travis Shaddix. Thank you for joining me this evening. I got back from a, uh, math competition this evening. It was, um, total destruction. We have a gentleman on our team at Hayes middle school that apparently should be at MIT now and he's in eighth grade. All the other questions were quite difficult, but he, he was very good. I think I got four out of the 40 questions (laughs) posed to eighth graders and only got, I think I got four, right? Of course, I didn't have a calculator. They had calculators, but still, if I had a calculator, it wouldn't have helped. They were quite challenging questions. It's a testimony to maybe our educational system. It's looking good. Um, I'm going to start off with a, with a text in the chat, a chat, text, text in the chat, whatever. This is exactly at least one of my goals of this channel. Okay. There's very little that could have made me more happy within this, this chat shared by Looney. I couldn't wait until 9 PM and spoiled the show for myself. Google Scholar has this paper available free to download. Knowing that at least one of you went and searched for this article and found it. Maybe you didn't read it, maybe you did. It's sort of irrelevant. But the point is you went and looked for it and you found it, I, I'm, I'm assuming. So that is fantastic because the last thing I wanna do is for you all to leave this channel and say, Dr. Shattuck said this, therefore I'm doing it. That's not the intent of this channel at all. The intent of the channel is to equip you with the necessary skills to think critically through certain uh, beliefs and, and positions. And part of that is being able to find you know, justification for your beliefs, evidence. And the evidence that I use is published in these, these, these documents. It's the best evidence we can really use, right? So knowing that you went and looked for it, even if you didn't find it, just the mere fact that you took the time to go look for it certainly is is nice to know. So that's good to see that that uh, you're doing that, and um, hopefully, on some small level, I'm I'm uh, encouraging more people to to use the resources that already exist. That being our scientific publications, whether it's with the ASA or the Horticulture Societies. Um, your state association has perhaps some publications, but these, these referee journal publications, um, they're out there and somebody paid a lot of money to get them published, whether it was their own research money or grant money or something. And, and I just, um, I don't think it, it, um, I just think there's a lot of good information out there that's sitting on bookshelves, not being used. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that, um, that, that, that somebody's looking it up. So, <laughs> I'm not the only one sitting and reading these old things. Um, so anyway, thanks for joining me. We're going to start today with a, um, we're going to, today's paper is going to start or broach the topic of environmental fate. This paper is he- is a heavy environmental fate paper, but um, I'm not going to go into it fully, fully you know, jump with both feet right now. The next couple of papers, in fact, all the papers next week are still in the fall fertility turf response category. Um, but we're going to start kind of moving into the environmental fate because a lot of the findings that we have from the previous papers are, you know, limiting the soluble N in the fall because of the turf response. The turf response tends to be a little lower um, from those November applications, those when the, when the turf really starts to slow down and go into dormancy and perhaps the soil's already frozen the turf response tends to be uh, less when applied then as opposed to applying in september but well and in addition to that we have the environmental consequences of those late november applications of soluble nitrogen so um we're going to start looking at that topic and this is one of the first papers in fact i'm pretty sure it is the first paper that i've talked about uh when it comes to the the, the nutrient leaching or the nitrogen leaching and like i've said before Whether you're, um, you know, pro-environment and, yay, I'm going to do everything I can to reduce my impact, or whether you're a business person or capitalist and you don't find it too warm and fuzzy about the environment, you're looking at money, or you're both. Maybe you're both. In in any case, the loss of nitrogen um, uh, off-site beyond the the target organism, in this case turfgrass, is a loss economically and an increase in risk environmentally. So in both cases if you if you see like a 60% leaching of the nitrogen you might not get warm and fuzzy cuz oh, when it, it it you know it's an environmental issue and you don't really you know see the direct impact of it because it's downstream somewhere. That maybe that doesn't you know tickle your fancy. But that's still 60% of the nitrogen that you bought and put out that didn't go into the plant. It went it leached through the system, you know, and didn't end up in your in the plant that you were trying you're shooting for. So you could either look, look at it either way. Um, so keep that in mind as we go through here. I hope, I hope maybe you're both, maybe you're a capitalist and you're a business person and you're an environmentalist. You're concerned about both. We have to kind of balance the two. Uh, and so, um, that being said, we're going to get into it. So the today's topic or the title of the paper is fall fertilization timing effects on nitrate leaching and turf color and growth. This was published in, where, where was this published? It okay, this is published in J.E.Q., the Journal of Environmental Quality in 2006 by Mangiafico and Gallard. I hope I'm pronouncing that, well, both names. I hope I'm pronouncing the, the Italian name correctly. Carl was a professor at UConn for ages and ages. And if I'm not mistaken, he's actually an emeritus professor now there. He's still submitting articles as far as I know. He's done a tremendous amount of work on nutrient leaching, nitrogen leaching. He's done a lot of work on soil testing. Um and so, you know, he he's a well known, well established and and respected for his his work in this field. So um he's not um he's not a newbie. <laughs> he he knows what he's doing. Okay, so fall fertilization timing effects. So I've as you know if you if you're new to the channel and you're just joining us, thank you for joining us, joining me. I, you're going to see some white sections in here. This is areas that I've intentionally whited out to keep me on track. It's not to hide anything; it's just to kind of keep me going, you know, on on track, so I don't get lost and I don't meander through the conversation or the, the text. If you want the full um, text and all the documents and all the information that's in the text, you can go to um, crops.org, soils.org, agronomy.org. Any of those three will get you to the same location, and you can search their journals and download this article someone said they downloaded it for free i guess the looney said he got it for free on google scholar so maybe it's an open access as far as i, I don't know um, if it's not open access consider joining the asa or the crop science society of america or soil science Society of america or whatever and you can you can download all these articles with your membership okay um let's get started I, and i apologize i really appreciate everybody texting and chatting i great it's great to see that it's just kind of <laughs> i'm a one-man show so i'm if you, if I don't respond to your, your chat, just do it again. If you won't really want me to respond to it, I'll do my best to kind of go back to it periodically and, and address any questions you may have. Um, so please don't, uh, think I'm ignoring you. I just hadn't quite seen it or I, you know, I'm losing track of it. I'm going to have to pretty much read the introduction, most of the introduction, because it kind of, this is the first, again, this is the first paper we've talked about nutrient leaching. Okay. So I'm going to, read most of the introduction which is something i probably normally i normally don't do a lot of that but i'm going to read the introduction mostly in full let me get my little pen out here okay um fall fertilization is widely recommended is a widely recommended practice for cool season turf grasses in southern new england so right there you go southern new england and elsewhere in temperate climates report reported agronomic benefits of fall fertilization include improved color in the spring now powell he starts citing papers We've, we've seen this paper, right? We've gone over that paper. That's, this is, this was, uh, well, I don't know if it's the 67 B or he has another one too, but this was the paper that changed our management practices from avoiding fall fertilization from the early thirties and forties, where we started seeing some indications that it might cause some winter kill to Dr. Powell, pr- pr- um, uh, publishing his papers and showing it didn't show any winter kill in the field fall for, for, for fall fertilization didn't increase winter kill in the field and that was the paper that sort of changed a lot of our mindset on how we should approach fall fertility or or cool season turf grass fertility in general wilkinson and duff we've reviewed this paper 72 the, i think we've um, covered the warner paper and i don't know if we've covered the warner haley paper 93 or not but we've covered a lot of these papers already guys and it talks about increasing root mass in either the winter or spring we're going to get to root mass in this paper too by the way um, and decrease carbohydrate depletion in the winter. And Powell's paper didn't go into a whole lot on there, but he did show a little bit of carbohydrates in that one paper. To achieve the full ag- full agronomic benefits of fall fertilization and avoid a flush of top growth in the fall, it has been suggested that fertilizer should be applied late in the season after most top growth has ceased. Now, this was prior. That's I'm saying that as if it's present day. This is not present day. He's setting the stage saying this is what they were saying. And he has some citations for this Hansen and Juska, Wilkinson and Duff. You know, he has some citations saying that they're recommending applying it in late fall. Okay. But but I'm not saying to do that. Don't get confused. Okay. Determination of an application date of fall fertilizer for optimal agronomic benefits is difficult. And this is the reason I wanted to read the introduction. Because previous studies were performed under different climatic and maintenance conditions and with different species. So we have talked about... Um, September, October, November applications, we tend to use, I I tend to use that language because that's what's presented in these papers, but November in Wisconsin is not the same as with November in, you know, Southern North Carolina, okay, or November in Northern California. They're, they're, so, you have to keep in mind, we're talking about those months for that location, and you can't just pick a month and say, okay, well... Um, you know, Dr. Soldat said we shouldn't be applying in late November, so that's going to be our BNP for Florida. That doesn't work that way, okay? It's Florida. Okay, we can apply n- nutrients well into November and be perfectly okay there. Okay, so don't don't pick the month as the date unless that date was conducted in your location. Otherwise, you have to use, um, you know, the environmental conditions where you're at to kind of better manage and dictate when you should and shouldn't be applying these these nit- nitrogen applications in the fall. Uh, conclusions about specific fertilizer dates would not be applicable to distinctly different climates exactly what i just said determination of an application date is difficult also because few studies directly compared fall fertilizer applications on different dates so in other words for our for my scientific colleagues we're talking about setting date as a fixed effect so we're comparing october to november and we're comparing October to December and so forth, setting that as the fixed effect that we're measuring is not wasn't at that time all that common. Um, there is a concern about nitrate N losses from managed turf grass areas due to the negative environmental and human health effects of nitrate N in surface and groundwaters. The date of fertilizer application may affect the potential for significant nitrate in leaching. Some studies concerning in leaching from turf grass systems have reported increased N concentration on nitrogen mass loss in percolate water during the fall and winter. So this Petrovic, uh, oh, that's the 9886 paper. So Petrovic shown, I'm going to go over all these papers. These are all in the Gillard and COP 2004, which was down here. He cut it off. The, all those papers are in my pipeline to talk about. These are all standard, well-known papers in the world of nutrient fate and turf grasses. And we will go over all those papers eventually. Okay. Um, Recommended dates for fall application of, of fertilizer must take into consideration both agronomic and potential agronomic benefits and potential leaching losses, as well as the climate. and Okay. So what he's saying is you have to, we have to take into consideration the turf and the, and the a, a potential adverse consequences to our, to our ecosystem. So up to, well, 86, when Petrovic did started doing his study, there was a couple of papers before 86, but up until the eighties. We were looking at what happened in the plant what how do we get the plant to grow in fact some of the early papers state the objective of nutrient application was to is to maximize turf grass response or maximize turf grass color or or quality that's not our intent in most cases anymore that was the case for many many decades but now we realize well we don't really need to maximize it all the time we're just looking to see how can we maintain an acceptable turf grass because if we maximize it all the time, we're starting to throw the ecosystem out of balance when it comes to nitrogen and phosphorus entering our ecosystems um, because we're playing more than we need to, okay? So we've since moved away. There are cases where we need to maximize you know, growth, clearly, that, that exists. But for the most part, most of the, the scientific consensus and the movement is to move away from maximizing growth and maximizing color and more towards just what is an acceptable limit, and the acceptable limit might vary from you to from you to the next person but in general we kind of have an idea of what the acceptable limit is and there's room for improvement above that and there and it can decline below that but whatever that limit is is kind of where we want to stay in most most cases because that minimizes our impact on our ecosystem while at the same time providing an acceptable product to our customers right so um uh this is what he says right here. He has to consider both the agronomic benefits and the potential environmental consequences, is what he's saying. Okay. Um uh, so therefore this this study was conducted to investigate the timing effects of fall fertilization on both leaching losses and turf grass color density, root mass, and clipping yield for a, for a turf stand in southern New England on home lawn maintenance regimes. So there's a lot of publications on golf and sport turf for sure. There's also a lot of publications on home lawn. I've been going over several of them. This one's specifically um In a home lawn and it uses a fertilizer bought from a big box store for a home lawn so this is directly applicable to all most of you guys in massachusetts and connecticut and rhode island and you know that general area is is this is you know tailored for you guys a field experiment was conducted at the university of connecticut in stores connecticut usa from uh august well in august 2000 to may 2003. Okay, so we're sort of in nestled in the eastern northeastern area of Connecticut is where stores Connecticut is. All right, that's where we're at. this is the this is how what they did. So when they went I'm going to show you this for those people who might not be familiar with how we do leaching studies, there's several different ways. Let's see if I can zoom in on this. There's many, many different methods of doing it. But in the basic concept is to have a subsurface container that collects any downward movement of water. And then there's some sort of tube or either coming out below the, below the container. Sometimes you'll see, um, extracting tubes go right up the, the side of the container and then it's collected off site somewhere. It's either, it it runs to the outside of the wall, or in this case it runs underground to the outside of the wall where it can be collected. Um, sometimes there's other ways we can do it, where we can use suction lysimeters and we can leave it all in the ground. And it's, it's, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but it's pretty straightforward. Here's the here's the grass, here's the soil. We bury a container. We can we have a collection tube, and we have some sort of collection uh, pipe or vacuum apparatus that we collect the leachate out of. It's pretty much that simple. A situation like this is pretty much um, you're pretty much required to maintain it all the time because if you don't constantly um, collect it and drain it, then you're going to end up getting a lot of stuff in there that builds up and you got to, you know, tear it all out and redo it. There are other systems that you can, you can let flow out and you don't, it's not so much maintenance involved, but they're a little less accurate. Anyway, I digress. This is kind of how we do it. Okay. And you're gonna see a lot of this type of work in the next several months as I, as I move into this topic. Um, a little bit of what they did or how they did it. The barrels were filled with screen soil having a loam and section loam. Da, da, da. The pH was five point seven. The organic uh, matter was one point four percent, and the nitrate uh, was is eight eight parts per million nitrate nitrogen in the soil that they that they packed the lysimeters with. Uh, this container is just so you know this like this barrel. I'll, I'll use the word lysimeter. This is what we we normally use the 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 verbiage a lysimeter. That's what I'm talking about when I say lysimeter is the subsurface tube or barrel. Okay. Uh, in the summer of 2000, existing vegetation on the site was killed with glyphosate and tilled into the soil. The entire site was topped with t- 20 centimeters of commercial topsoil to mimic the soil profiler of the newly constructed home lawn. So the reason I highlighted that is because that is very similar. People come in, they strip out all the topsoil, they put in a... a a house they build a house and they'll put on some topsoil if you're lucky and then they'll put some sod or seed on top of that so that's what they did with the intention of simulating that process the topsoil that they put in there had a ph of 5.9 an organic matter of 1.9 percent and then nitrate and nitrogen of 9.4 That's pretty high for nitrate and nitrogen what is it what is it two what was it kcl yeah two molar kcl extraction seems like that's pretty high for a KCL extractant of the soil to have that much nitrate nitrogen in there, but that's what they had. So um, the site was sodded. So here's the grass they used. The site was sodded with Kentucky bluegrass and t- t- 90% Kentucky bluegrass and 10% creeping red fescue. So that's the grass way they used. Okay. Now let's look and see what they did in terms of fertilizer. The treated treatment 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 plot. What is that? That's, that's a fr- strange phrase. Treatment plots received one pound. So if those of you new to the channel, 49 kilograms per hectare is one pound. Treatment plots received. I'm gonna do my best to convert things to English units when I can. Treatment plots received one pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet of a 10,717 NPK. So this is not going to be a 10, 717 like what you see in the on the label, because in our literature, we have to convert it from oxide to elemental. So this is like a 10. 10, whatever, 20 or something, 25, whatever that is. Um, I actually went and tried to look this up. It's a Greenview wintergreen fertilizer that they put out there. It looks like this is a brand that uh, Lowe's or Home Depot sells. And I can't find the 10, 7, 17. This was done, whatever, 15, 20 years ago. and there's Even if it was the same exact analysis, it'd probably be a different, you know, uh, components in the blend. But that was what was in the blend. And it was applied by hand on one of the following dates. It was either applied the middle of September, the middle of October, or the middle of November, or the middle of December. Very straightforward. September 15th, October 15th, November 15th, or December 15th. This fertilizer had 60% nitrogen as ammonium and 40% as urea. Now, it doesn't say in here where there ever is any slow release in this blend. That's the reason I went and tried to look it up. Later in the document, he states it had no slow release in it. So, and I don't know what this was derived from. I'm only assuming it's ammonium sulfate and urea because there's ammonium here, but it could have been this because there's phosphorus in here. It could have been from DAP, uh, diammonium phosphate or something. I don't know where the phosphorus form was. I don't know if it was KCL or K- potassium sulfate. I don't know. Um, I wish they would have put that in here, but it is what it is. Okay. So it's probably either DAP or ammonium sulfate and urea. That was the form of nitrogen that was applied so all soluble there was no slow release in any of these applications all plots each received in addition to that that was the that was the treatments applied in september october november or december in addition to that outside the fall time frame basically all plots received one pound of nitrogen on each of two application dates one in early may and one in late june of a different fertilizer it was a 30 probably a 325 or 32 4 or whatever of a commercial on fertilizer. So in other words, they're applying uh, a pound in May, they're applying a pound in June to everything. And maybe except the control plot. No, no, it even says all plots, so even the control plot. So pound in May and a pound in June. And then the treatment itself is just, you know, September, October, November, or December. That's what they're comparing, okay? okay? This fertilizer, the fertilizer they put out in May and June, had nine uh, percent of nitrogen as ammonium, seventy-four percent of urea, and 7, seventeen as water insoluble. So it had seventeen percent slow. The the one they put out in the in the early summer, this fertilization plan resulted in each fertilize each fall fertilized plot receiving a total of one hundred forty-seven kilograms, which is that's right, three pounds a in <laughs> per year total. Everything received three pounds a in, and each control plot received two pounds a in. Plots that received no fertilizer received an additional phosphorus as triple superphosphate and additional K as KCL. That was just to balance everything out. Make sure everything got balanced. Okay. The site was maintained as a home lawn. Plots were mowed weekly during the growing season at a height of 4.5 centimeters or basically two inches. And clippings were on the plot. So make sure everything, everybody understands. They did apply the same fertilizer to everything on in the summertime. They only switched it up in the fall. Okay, everything received three pounds of nitrogen except the control plot. The control plot received the two pounds in the summer but didn't have any fall fertilizer applied to it. Okay, now we're going to see what they measured. Beginning in August 2000, percolate volumes in the uh, collection vessels were measured weekly and subsamples of the percolate was removed from by a peristaltic pump. So what they did was... They went in and they took a, a sample of, they took a sample of what had drained through the soil, through the lysimeter. They took a sample and that was sent off for analysis. They, they took the, they measured the entire volume that, that leached through. And so they know the total volume. They know the concentration of nitrate in that volume. And they sent this one sample off for analysis. And then they just tossed out the, the, the remainder of the, of what leached through the remainder of the percolate. That's very standard hue lightness and chroma measurements of leaf blades were taken from march to november so that's how they're going to measure color okay i'm not going to go into all that but that's how they measured color chlorophyll concentrations were measured in the then they measured that they measured this hue lightness and chroma with, with um electronically with a meter okay with a with basically a camera chlorophyll concentration measurements in leaf tissue were taken from march to november in 2001 2002 and from march to may in 2003 and um for that they used another little instrument or what did they do that with wet chemistry let me look let me look here yeah so no they didn't yeah they did do it with wet chemistry they didn't do it with an instrument they 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 did it with wet chemistry they didn't do it with a with a gun basically okay so they did it with wet chemistry which is the gold standard uh, reflectance, so we're measuring the reflectance of light off the off the uh, leaf blades as a measure of color, basically. Uh, reflectance index measured with a spectrum filled Scout uh, CM one thousand chlorophyll meter. Were taken from the September to December. Da da da. So they measure. Well, so they measured the chlorophyll twice. They measured it with wet chemistry and they measured it with a reflectance meter. That'd be interesting to see if they actually regress that to see if there was a strong relationship between that. Historically, I, I haven't seen that happen. We, 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 whenever we can, we try to use instruments in the field that give us a number because it's quick and simple. <laughs> We're lazy, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it doesn't make any difference if it's not correlated to the actual wet chemistry that we know. And this the gold standard for this is what's in the plant. Right. So I don't know how, how accurate or how, um, correlated that reflectance meter is to actual chlorophyll concentration. I'm assuming it's pretty strong, but I don't know if they ever actually did the measurement in here. Shoot density measurements were taken as well, basically. shoot density. Okay. Um, I'm only going to mention some stuff about the stats because it's kind of important, just with this one little bit here. Because initial high nitrate in concentrations in the parklet may have been due to mineralization stimulated by soil disturbance during establishment, the period from the beginning of August 2000 to the middle of May 2001 was considered an establishment period and was excluded from all subsequent analysis of nitrate concentrations in concentrations and mass therefore the experimental period was then from the middle of may to the end of the study so this happens in virtually every leaching study i've ever seen where we go and want to say okay we want to we want to measure how much nitrate or phosphorus or whatever potassium moves through the the turf grass system under these conditions then that's typical but then when they apply it or when we apply it i apply it when i first apply it the Generally speaking, it's it's on newly established turf. We don't have lysimeters sitting out in the field with 10 year old established turf on them doing nothing. I mean, we're, we're they're, they're always doing something to these plots. So when we say, okay, we got a funded study here and they want to measure nitrate leaching through um, through bluegrass, and I got tall fescue on it. I got to go rip off the tall fescue and put bluegrass on it. Well, when I do that, I disturb the soil. And that new, new bluegrass that I just planted hasn't got the root density. It hasn't got the root, you know, uh, roots moving through the soil. It hasn't, it, it's not established as a, as a soil turf system yet. And that beginning time frame when we start the study, it, you'll see these really high spikes in nitrogen and phosphorus leaching there at the very beginning of the study, which is good information to know. But if I want to know what happens on established turf grass, I can't really include that because it's not representative of established turf grass. I have to omit that or put that in a separate study and call that you know, establish, you know, know, leaching during establishment or something like that. Um, but because it's not representative of, of what we're actually trying to measure and what they tried to measure, they excluded that from the beginning of the, the first several months from the study, from the nitrate leaching, which is completely valid if that's not the question they're asking. Okay, I wanna make sure that's clear it is very very common to see very high levels nitrogen phosphorus leaching initially after establishment in fact my whole master study then i do my p i don't know if i did my phd but my whole master study was nitrogen leaching and runoff during establishment okay so that's a very different time frame than and a very different result than what will happen once the turf crust is fully established okay and I, le- I, I bl- whited out all the rest of the statistical analysis. It's just statistical jargon that probably will bore you guys to death. Didn't bore me to death. I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, okay, let's go to the results and discussion. Before I get there, let's check the chat real quick. Make sure I'm not missing anything critical here. Um, anything interesting you guys want to, any questions you guys got while, before I move on? Um, looks like you guys are just having some fun. Got to be, can't miss Dr. Shaggs. They played hockey in Lexington. They play hockey in Lexington. Yes, they do play hockey in Lexington. Absolutely. We're at the ice rink. When we get off the ice, the, the, the hockey players get on the ice. They have two rinks here, depending on which rink they're on. One of the better turfgrass professors, I'll leave their name out of it, his name out of it, but one of the be- actually there's two or three actually now that I think of it, but one of my good friends and a good very good turfgrass professor who's no longer in academia, was uh in the adult league here as a goalie and he's super super friendly super nice but when he's on the ice (laughs) he's tough as nails i've said it for years hockey's the last pure sport okay i'll go i'm not going to go into it now but i played baseball and basketball for years i wrestled for years and did martial arts for years and that's all good and everything i'm all football i watch football all the time but hockey's the last pure sport, and I'll go into that some other time. But the uh, the the history or the the, the uh, brotherhood of and the the unwritten rules, I should say, of hockey um, are impressive. So yes, there is hockey here in Lexington, Kentucky. They have a a club at UK. I don't think they have like an official UK hockey team, but the hockey the UK hockey club or whatever you call it practices at the same ice rink that I, that me and my kids play or skate at. Anyway, moving on. Um, these observe, okay. So these observations indicate that the winter of year one was drier and warmer than normal while the winter of year two was, was near normal. These are the results. So what are what you're going to find is year one was drier than normal. Year two was, uh, pro- basically normal. And you're going to see differences in the nitrate leaching between year one and year two. Okay. <laughs> The analysis of variance indicated no significant differences in percolate volumes or percents among treatments. So the reason I put that in there is, is because um, the, vo- the when we look at nitrogen concentrations, actually I asked this to a professor when I was a grad student over, I was up in Washington State somewhere, I can't remember now where I was. But we were looking at this stream going through this golf course in one of the, one of the grad students at the time said oh we measured nitrogen in this waterway um, and it was whatever 0.1 percent or something it's very very low and i asked the professor sitting standing next to me who's in my opinion the the greatest living soil turf grass scientist still living i said wouldn't that depend on the flow rate of the 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 river or the the creek i mean i mean the concentration is just one thing the flow rate is you have to include that he goes yeah you're definitely you're absolutely right travis they need to include the flow rate well here because it doesn't matter what the concentration is it doesn't matter just what the concentration is it matters what the concentration is and the volume and in this case what they're saying is there was no difference in volume it's a long-winded way of saying all the volumes were the same so when you see the concentration in the, in the data tables coming up that's a fair comparison just looking at the concentration because all the volumes were the same there was no difference in a leachate volume so here's what they're talking about when talking about the um the uh air, the water the the air, the rainfall in November and January December November December and January of the first year it was very much below normal you see these bars here this is actual and this line was the 30 year normal it was very very dry basically the first year in the second year the actual rainfall was more close to the normal 30 year average And so you're going to see a lot more nutrient leached in the second year than in the first year that's ironic because most of the time it's flipped the other way assuming that the the rainfall is approximately normal because the turf grass is still not established for many years you'll you'll generally see the nitrogen leaching do something like this you'll see a very high leaching and then you'll see it do this you'll see it come down and down and down and down and down and it'll just keep going down and down and down until it kind of levels off but that might take two or three years for it to completely level off to where it's essentially negligible nitrogen leaching sorry i digress again this is the reason i white stuff out i keep going through these things it'll take me three years to get through one paper <laughs> okay percolate nitrate concentration concentrations it's so now it's not that's the setting okay we have uh we have sodded uh, bluegrass and what was it the uh, chewing red fescue in connecticut um, we're applying, we're keeping it like a lawn. We applied a lawn fertilizer in September, October, November, or December. And we're measuring how much nitrogen moves through there. We're measuring the color and the growth. Now the nitrate concentration, concentration of nitrate in, 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 percolate water of greater than 40 parts per million were observed during the establishment period data, not shown. Remember they, they, they took that out. These initial high concentrations may have been due to mineralization stimulated by soil disturbance. I had a conversation with my mother. If she's listening. Hello. Um, and she's in Colorado and she's, she's working on some stuff with her HOA at, our, at where she lives. And she's talking about um, potentially removing some of the turf grass and putting in some zeroscape, which, by the way, I will go into on another um, podcast for sure about the differences in these landscapes. Um, anyway. And I said, well, why do you want to do that? And She said, well, I want to, I want, we want to reduce our water. We had a $35,000 fine or something because they used too much water last year. I said, okay, well, if you want to reduce your water, removing the turf grass will likely do that. I mean, I'm not going to, you're watering the grass. If you turn off the water, you're going to probably save water, okay? But keep in mind, when you remove the turf, you're going to disturb the soil. And when you disturb the soil, something's going to happen. It's going to have sediment movement. You're going to have nitrogen, phosphorus movement through the soil, whatever. It's in a situation of relative stability. And you're going to come and take out turf grass and put in rocks and put in cactus and whatever you're going to put in. That's fine. If you want to reduce the water, you'll probably do that. But that process is going to have a consequence. And in this particular case, it says right here, these initial high concentrations may have been due To mineralization stimulated by soil disturbance during establishment so you're going to tear up that soil you're going to loosen it up and all those organisms and all that nitrogen and organic matter that was sitting in there sort of stable is now exposed to a great deal of more oxygen probably more moisture and you're going to start um, increasing that mineralization rate and very likely result in some sort of increase in nitrogen or phosphorus or some other element not to say the long long term maybe that's what you need to do maybe it's long term savings of water maybe that's what you want to do but just be aware of what else can happen when you do it okay there and there's plenty of evidence to support that which I'll go into in a future podcast for sure there was an evi- there was an evident elevation of nitrate in concentrations for all treatments from October 2002 to January 2003 and from January 2002 for the September, November and December treatments Okay, um, I'm going to skip past that. I mean, you can read this if you want, but um, fall fertilization treatments had significantly higher log 10 means than did the control, basically saying there's more nutrient, more nitrogen leaching than, than, than the control. Additionally, December, here, go, December, I know I did this for December 15th treatment had a significantly higher average concentration of nitrogen than the September 15th treatment. So they're saying right here that when applied in December, it had a much higher concentration, the average concentration, than when the same nutrient was applied in September. We're going to explain a little bit why that, why that occurred very likely. Okay. Um, Nitrate, nitrogen mass collected in percolate water. Now we're going to move from concentration to mass. And how do we get that? We have, we have to have the concentration and we have to have the volume. That's how we come up with mass if we don't have the volume which he said earlier was all the same we don't have that volume all we have is concentration and that doesn't really tell the whole picture you have the volume you can use those two to calculate the mass of nitrogen that moved through and we're going to see right here cumulative mass increased more sharply however from november 2002 through february 2003. this higher mass export coincides with higher nitrate in concentrations and percolant during the same period as well as with colder air temperatures and higher precipitation compared to the previous winter. Because this period of increased loss was evident in all treatments in November 2002, including those not yet fertilized in the fall of that year, that's the November and December treatments. These losses are probably not directly related to the fall applicate applied at that time, but to residual nitrate in previously from previous applications or from mineralization. So let me explain what, what that whole mess is about now. That was where was that where was that graph I was going to show. Let me find it real quick. That was da, 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 where was I at here? Figure 3. Oh, okay. So what he's what what they're saying is is that there was um during this period as well as where, where was that at okay so November two thousand two okay November two thousand two so what he's saying is is that there's you'll see it right here on this graph too this this spike right here in November but also this these peaks that come up right through here okay these these peaks that come up what they're saying is is that these peaks occurred even when the nitrogen had not yet been applied okay so in this this treatment right here in november and this treatment in december notice the this the spike right here and all these you, you you could make it make sense in september and october because they've already been applied but the same spike occurred in november and in december and there hadn't been any nitrogen applied yet in those months so what he's saying is we have to look at this thing contextually and say well it could have come from the fertilizer but it, it came in the Plots that didn't have any fertilizer applied yet as well. So it's very likely came from a residual of the mineralization increase that occurred from the initial establishment is what they're they're postulating. Okay. We're going to come back to this graph in a second. This is an important graph up here in the top right when I get to figure five, which is probably coming up here pretty quick. Uh, Let me get down here because I don't want to miss it. Where did they cite table five? or figure five. Hmm. I'll just talk about it now. Okay, so figure five is not, uh, I'm gonna put this on the screen here. Okay, so figure five, we, we, there's a lot of ways to run data when you come to, to leaching. You can run it like concentration, like we just did on these graphs over here. You can add literally the concentration at that time and you see the water concentration from zero to 20 parts per million. And it's each individual one or you can do it things like this where you do a cumulative where you're adding um all the previous masses in this case we're talking about kilograms of, uh, per hectare the previous mass to the next um uh, mass and you, you keep adding and adding and adding and adding okay and when we do that in this case we see that there's a little bit occurred in May remember we started collecting in here there was a there was a large spike at the beginning and they they omitted that that's fine And then you start to see basically very level, sort of, uh, there's not much accumulation, really. Okay, we're quite low. The December application, which is the dotted line, starts to go up. Okay, so December application occurred right in here, somewhere somewhere in here. Well, it would actually have been probably somewhere in there. Okay, and you start to see this December line separate itself from the other months. So I'm going to start bringing this whole thing together from all the prior applica- prior papers we've talked about the September, October, November applications. We're talking about avoiding late November, not doing anything in December because the turf's not doing as much as it, as, as it was early on. But now we're seeing an additional adverse consequence where nutrients applied in the middle of December in Connecticut are starting to separate itself in terms of nutrient leaching from the other months. Okay. And we continue through the remainder of the next year, 2002. We're not applying any fertilizer in in the fall. We're not applying any fertilizer. We're applying it in May. We're applying it in June. We don't see any major increases. We're applying fertilizer right in here, guys. Remember, May and June, we're applying fertilizer. We don't see any major spikes. Okay, even on the even on the December 15th, we don't see any major spikes between when we're applying the nutrients. One pound in June and one pound was was June or or one pound in May, one pound in June. We're not seeing these big spikes. When we get again to that fall application we see the nitrogen begin to really separate itself out in the year of 2003 okay and we're going to see the total cumulative at the end of all three years or all two years whatever they did two years the scent the december application is clearly separated itself out from all the other um, months and the september application is the lowest, whereas the con- well, the control, the control is the lowest, but the control still had some. Okay, the control still had some nitrogen leaching through it. The September application is about forty kilograms per hectare. The December application is uh, half again as much as that, so it's up in the sixty-five range. So, when we say, you know, we ref- probably want to refrain from soluble applications of nitrogen late in November. Sure, for sure, in December because the turf doesn't respond well or it only has color and you can get the same color from September. we're talking about the plant here's an example where we're talking about we're going to talk about the plant in a minute but we're also talking about losing your money all this nitrogen right in here between these two lines is money or environmental consequences risk or whatever however you want to look at it whatever floats your boat you didn't, you lost all that money and all that profit in your business or profit to your your members or whatever. You could have sp- saved that money and bought, you know, a pre emergent herbicide or something. Who knows? I mean, this is this, however, you, whatever you, you know, get you turned on, okay? You lost it, okay? Because you had decided to apply it in December rather than in September. Applying the same amount of nitrogen, you're just changing the date. Now, you do gain some or lose less, I should say, when you apply it in November, and here is in October. But let me, you really do see a major reduction by applying that September application, okay. Now let's look at what happens with the plant. I think that plant is gonna be the next, um, the next, uh, where am I going? I'm trying to get this on the screen. The next variable they look at, I think. Let's see what they talk about here. Yeah, shoot density. Okay, yeah, so let's look what happens to the plant. So we just showed what what happens in terms of nutrient leaching nitrate nitrogen leaching clearly there's an influence on months later applications greatly increase the risk of nutrient movement off-site being leaching in this case what happens to the plant i can i can leave this zoomed out yeah you guys can read that turf color chlorophyll and yield okay overall the October fifteenth, November fifteenth, and December fifteenth treatments were among treatments that produced the highest means of hue, chlorophyll concentration, clipping yields, and among the lowest lightness. So let me let me interpret that. Basically, what it's saying is they looked the greenest and they grew the most. <laughs> okay, for December, for the December, November, and October. So that's basically what that means. So nit- turf grass that was subjected to nitrogen applications in October, November, December looked greener and grew more than in September in this in this particular case. That's what it, that's what they found. Actually, I want to come back to this table uh one. I forgot about table one. I want to go over that in a minute. Shoot density and root mass. In the present study, no differences were found among fall fertilized treatments for either year for shoot density or root mass. And the reason I highlighted that is i really the, the next thing that's going to get me turned on the most after this text from or whatever that chat was who, who put that chat in there earlier <laughs> was it Looney who <laughs> said he went and looked it up and started reading it yeah went and read it that's great that gets me excited The next thing that's going to get me excited is when someone puts on there, oh, holds a picture of these roots up on Twitter or YouTube or whatever and say, look at all these roots. And some one of you guys goes, "Okay, well, uh, how do you know that that actually happened? I mean, how do you know that's actually greater than not doing anything at all? Because that would really... Start to convince me that you're starting to think critically now because you see this all the time on YouTube and on Twitter and all the holding up cup cutter plugs of turf grass with roots hanging out the bottom of them. Who cares? Honestly, I mean, it's such a, a flawed reason to be convinced that that's actually why you should want to use that. Roots almost never differ. You have to have major, major differences in roots to actually have it show up statistically. It just generally you don't see differences in roots unless it's a major difference. And so when someone holds that up, please arm yourself (laughs) with, with skepticism and, and, and think, well, how, that's just a picture of some root. I can create a picture of a turf craft plug with roots hanging out of it too. And I can say, I applied that. In other words, they may be convinced. They may be trying to convince you, you know, Guard yourself and 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 just know, have some good confidence that root differences almost never exist in in the scientific literature. I shouldn't say almost never. That's extreme. That they exist, but it's rare. It's more common to say, just like these authors say here, there's no differences in shoot math and uh, shoot density and root root mass. (laughs) That's that's pretty common. Okay, whenever you whenever you balance everything out and you try to control for as much error as you can and you start looking at roots, you spend a crazy amount of time. I mean, I, I would just, I would subject myself to that torture just as a means to show you all how long it takes to do root measurements. And then at the end, there's no differences, okay? It's just like, oh my gosh, I just had a grad student spend a week measuring roots, and there's no differences? I sat there and measured these things out and took all the soil out and washed them all out, and there's nothing? Ugh, you know, that's just it just it's very unusual to to see r- differences in root mass. It's more common to see no differences, and so don't be fooled by people trying to convince you that their your roots are going to grow more in this case <clears throat> they're they're applying nitrogen throughout different times of the fall, and you've heard that many times before. Oh, you should apply in um in September or you should apply in October, November, you should apply this late fall fertilizer to increase your root mass going into the winter so you're more well this here's a perfect example where they did nothing terms of root mass you applied it in september you applied it and even it even says um okay so it does say among fall fertilized treatments okay so it was so probably compared to the control it probably did increase it but whether or not you did it in fall in september october or november or late in fall it didn't there's no differences in root mass okay i'll get off my soapbox now sorry <laughs> nitrogen source timing and rates Results from this study suggest that a considerable percentage of soluble nitrogen applied to turf grass in November or December could be lost through leaching. Oh, here we go. Table one. I'm going to come back to that. This percentage, however, may depend on the rate of fall in application. A, r- a rate considerably less than one pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet used in this study for fall application may lower the percentage of applied in. He's just speculating, saying you could probably apply less nitrogen and reduce your risk. Okay, <clears throat> so now table one pretty sure i can get this on the screen and i can't New, no. eh, yeah kind of yeah kind of can okay there you go there we go table one so table one is the uh the percent of applied fall fertilizer collected as nitrate nitrogen and percolate water from turf grass over two years okay so this is the treatment whether it was applied in september applied in october applied in november or applied in december year one and year two and this is the percent of the total in that was applied all right and we see in year one like like i said it was dry in year one we don't see a whole lot leach through there wasn't a whole lot of percentage of of leaching the december 15th was the highest at 16.8 percent while all the other ones were around two or three percent so there was a difference in december Um, but for the most part it's quite low when you go to year two you do see a pretty consistent increase from 30% in September to 56 and 60% as you move into October, November and December. Now, I'll say this. I've done a lot of leaching work with nitrate, ammonium, with urea, with phosphorus. Those numbers are quite high. I mean, year 2 to have 30% of the September application leach through is pretty doggone high. Okay? Now this was not n 15 labeled, okay. Remember that they had that spike in the second year even from plots that didn't receive nitrogen. And I don't know if um yeah I don't they don't say it in here. I don't know if the control plot nitrogen was omitted or was subtracted out of the nitrogen that leached through these plots. I don't see it in here. Okay. Um Oh, it does say percent. Okay, it does say so. Here it is. Mean, I apologize. Let me back up. Mean nitrogen percolate for treatment minus the mean in and the percolate for the control. So they did that. Okay, divided by the fall in. Okay, so they did that. Even with that subtraction, you still see 60% leach through, which is substantial. That is astonishingly high for a field study. That is quite high to have that much leach through. So, um, it is what it is. And for both years, you see the average being 15% from September. for October, 33% for November, and 41% in December. So clearly, you can see at the bare minimum, you're increasing your risk greatly of losing nitrogen, either money or increasing your risk of environmental fate, environmental consequences, the later you apply that soluble in. Applying it in September, early October, is likely going to be your best bet. Okay, the later and later you wait, the more and more you increase your risk of nutrient um, leaching. In this case, nitrate-nitrogen nitrate, leaching. Okay? Now, um, I'll just talk about this these graphs. I mean, uh, there's no sense of reading. I'll just talk about them. This is the hue, the lightness, and the chroma. So remember, anything on the lightness, a lower number is more desirable. That's, that's the greener plot, and you'll see the December application shows that it's greener the hue this is these are all basically green you're showing that the 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 october november december resulted in greener turf than the september application and the um september the october november december resulted in darker green basically than the september so that you know in this case we're showing that the turf grass is responding more favorably to the october november december application than the september application um, but the November and December application are substantially increasing than the leaching and, and as well as October. Um, but I think what I could say from here safely, I don't want to speak for the authors, but I think what I could say is because the November and December resulted in increased leaching, but they also resulted in similar. I'm going to take these off. These A's are all the same. OK, you can put a bar above these and it's the same thing. All these are the same because the October is the same in terms of color because october is the same in terms of dry matter yield because uh, to compared to november december it's the same in terms of reflectance it's the same in terms of chlorophyll because october is the same as november and december i think you can make a good case and and with this paper to om- to say omit november and december we didn't see a agronomic benefit to applying not anything substantial to applying november and december as opposed to october we we saw the benefit on october and the later and later we wait we increase our risk of nitrogen leaching and losing money or environmental risk into november and december does that make sense to everybody so like i said in the previous podcast this is turf grass epistemology have a good reason for what you believe have have justification you may already be in connecticut or up in massachusetts i think well here's western mass turf I, I, i'm assuming you're in massachusetts so You might be less than an hour away from where this was done, Western Mass. I'm not sure where you're at, but um, if you already believe that you should omit November, December and get your nitrogen out before then, that's true, very likely. But you might not have had justification for it other than just your observations or just because somebody else said something. So that wasn't really knowledge. Knowledge is when you have justification for your true belief. And this is justification for that belief. Th- this is the the foundation of epistemology. You now if, if you already believe that, now you now you have justification to support that as well. If you if you if you believe something else, if you believe, hey, you know what, I see what you're saying, Dr. Shaddix, but I still want to go out in December in, in direct contrast to these these results then you're you're not one you're not following the evidence but hopefully this will be a little seed that's planted of skepticism a seed of skepticism where it's planted it takes a long time to change people's uh, beliefs and people's uh, behaviors but if we can plant a little seed okay go ahead and keep doing what you want to do whatever but maybe that be- begins to grow and we cultivate that plant as it grows that seed that just germinated and maybe eventually you start to come back and say you know what you're right. I didn't really see much benefit to that December application. I'm going to back it up and I'm going to stop my applications in October. Okay. That's, you know, that's hard to do if you're already convinced to, to do it one way. But, um, this is, uh, as justified a reason as, as you'll probably ever find to omit the November and December applications in Massachusetts on, what was this bluegrass? Um, so take it for what it's worth guys. Any, uh, Oh, any question? So here's a question. Let me let me address this question. Well, oh, let me let me first just say this. You're doing great, Dr. Shaddix. I'll take I'll take all the compliments. You just lavish me with your compliments. I'm I'm very vain. Okay. <laughs> I'll take all the, all the all the compliments you want to you want to give me. I need all the support I can get. Uh, no. Um. So the question was, do you still lose nitrogen on foliar applications? So yes, the answer is yes, you will very likely have a risk of losing nitrogen on foliar applications. It's probably not going to come from leaching as much as it would come from volatilization or something like that. So it completely depends on the form that's applied and the rate that's applied and many other factors on foliar applications, Um, uh, but you, you will always have a risk of losing nitrogen when you apply it to turf or any any plant you apply it to the trees or apples or wheat or corn or anything you're always going to have a risk of losing it um so you yes you can have a risk of losing it uh, when it's applied foliarly okay there's a difference between foliar and liquid application so when you say foliar i'm assuming you're going on a very very low rate 20 gallons per acre or 10 gallons per acre something something very low as far as the carrier volume so it's staying on the leaf surface so if you're applying to the leaf surface you still have a risk. I will say that the likelihood or the chances are very very much lower from light foliar applications. It's lower in terms of nutrient leaching or nitrogen leaching compared to these one-pound applications applied to the soil as granular applications, assuming that they're all soluble. Okay. So yes, you can always have a risk, but I would say low application rates with low carrier volumes on to intended to be absorbed by the foliage, that's a very low risk of nutrient offsite movement of that nutrient. Okay. Compared to this, this approach that we're talking about in this paper. Um, okay. I'm going to keep going. I'm sorry if I miss, missed, miss something, but I'm gonna keep going. Uh, while data from this study suggests that fertilizing turf in on October 15th or later, with one pound of nitrogen will improve turf color and density. Optimizing turf color or density is not always a priority over water quality concerns. Now, this might seem fairly normal nowadays or common nowadays, but you have to keep in mind, like I said at the beginning, for decades we were talking about maximizing turf growth, maximizing turf quality. And then we thought, wait a second, we might be kind of missing the target here a little bit. Do we need to maximize it? Because when we maximize it, we might kind of be throwing things out of whack. And then we start going on. We start re- reconsidering our model here, our, our thought process. We don't need to maximize it. We, in most cases, we just need acceptable turf. And now I, I'm, I'm sort of in this boat. We're shifting the other way. How, many, how little can we apply, right? For I hope that kind of continues to some degree. I mean, I know the pendulum kind of swings sometimes too strongly one direction, but To really, a lot of people are saying, "Well, how can I get by with the minimum amount?" Right, and I, I, I'd like that approach, not maybe for the, the superficial uh, reasons, but I like the idea of like lowering everything down because there's so much stuff we apply that we just don't need, and then if we start adding things back into it, we can we can systematically start removing things we don't need or systematically start maybe reverse including things that we know we need we're playing so much stuff sometimes that we just don't have a lot of justification for so minimizing that i think would help reduce that chance but anyway that's another that's for another topic um <clears throat> data from this study suggests a negative water quality impact from fall fertilization in that adding fall fertilizer increased average nitrate nitrogen concentration in percolate figure four and applying fertilizer after September 15th increased nitrogen mass and percolate, figure six. I'm gonna show that in a second. This study did not use any subjective ratings for turf quality, nor or are there any established values for acceptable turf with quantitative turf measurements. You okay, blah, blah, blah. They didn't, they didn't measure turf quality. Um, however, they basically noted that the growth was acceptable, the color and density were acceptable. They didn't measure that, but they say that it was acceptable. They just noted it, I guess, you know, in their notes or something. And it, and it was uh throughout the year on on plots receiving fall fertilizer in september or receiving no fertilizer at all so the plots were acceptable whether they received fertilizer and didn't receive fertilizer if water quality is a priority prudence may dictate an early or low rate fall nitrogen application or no fall nitrogen application additionally Rates of fall in application should be adjusted downward to account for residual available soil nitrogen from previous applications and mineralization. So basically what he's saying is, you might be able to get by with no nitrogen. And if you do apply nitrogen, you might be able to even reduce the rates because in some situations, you got so much organic matter in your soil, it's probably mineralizing quite a significant amount of nitrogen already. And you need to account for that. Nitrogen, I had this conversation just yesterday or today with a colleague of mine. Uh, nitrogen uh, rate studies, when they, we do this, uh, these are done regularly. Those nitrogen rate studies include the amount of nitrogen that has been mineralized from the soil in that location, right? So we'll do a one pound, two pound, four and eight pound rate of nitrogen. We're going to figure out what rate is necessary to have an acceptable limit. That's in addition to whatever mineralized, but that's at that location. So in this particular um, situation, what he's saying is there were probably a lot of mineralization that occurred later in the second year as, as evidenced by the nitrate leaching, and as evidenced by the the quality of the turf grass that didn't receive any nitrogen. So we need to be able to account for that somehow. And in fact, this author has done a lot of work on um, uh, soil test nitrogen studies, which we haven't quite got to the market yet. But um, he's done a lot of work with that to say, okay, well, how much nitrogen do you actually have in your soil now? And can we know that? And can we use that as a means to maybe uh, adjust our nitrogen recommendations? Like if your nitrogen... If your soil organic matter is mineralizing, you know, half a pound a year, can we include that and then just back off our nitrogen rate by half a pound? So he's, he's done actually a lot of work on that. Anyway, Um, let's look at figure six real quick and figure four. I want to, I don't want to miss those. Just make sure we did. We, we understand what they're talking about. So this, these are the, uh, I'll just touch on this briefly, nitrogen concentration and perklet, And then we have the control September, October, November, and December on the X-axis And what this is basically saying is overall, this is averaged over the entire study, I believe. He's basically showing that December, I'm not sure why he did descriptive statistics on this or not. I'm not sure why that was needed, but um, maybe there was a reason. The uh, nitrate concentration in percolate, all these A's up here, okay, these are all greater than the September. So on average... The October, November, and December resulted in higher nitrate in concentrations in the percolate than September. Again, further justification to get your nitrogen out in September, maybe a little bit in October if needed, if, if at all, and avoid November and December. And in, and the cumulative nitrate in the mass, and the, uh, the next graph, now I'm looking at a line graph here, roughly the same sort of concept control September. October, November, December on the x-axis, and cumulative nitrate in mass. So this isn't concentration; this is the mass, which includes the volume. And you see the same thing over those three years, uh, two years, I believe. The December mass is much greater. As and October, and November is probably close to the same, but they're all three of these are greater than the September. Okay. So, you know, whether you look at it over here in percentages, or whether you look at it on these graphs, whether it's the concentration, whether it's the mass there's the, from the percent of it applied the the likelihood of losing nitrogen to leachate can increases as time goes on in the fall okay from september forward all right that's the take-home message from that let me get back down here to where i was this study was conducted using fall fertilizer with water soluble in sources that's the reason i highlighted the red he didn't mention that in the, in the materials and methods and it's not he basically says it's not clear what would happen if you had slow release in sources um, depends on a variety of different factors is what he says. the, the, the removal, the leaching or the, the release of nitrogen from these slow release sources just depends on so many factors, who knows what would happen. Um, but it's possible it could be reduced warrant. And he has some citations, Warner and Haley found higher spring color ratings from sulfur coated urea, uh, with applications in November and December over October, but not from mill organite. So he's saying in this case, the Warner and Haley paper, which I don't know if we've gone over, but I can, is that they found that sulfur-coated urea had a um, had a greater spring color uh, compared to milorganite there was we didn't see this response from milorganite they also found with november applications greater spring color on more more dates for sulfur-coated urea compared to compared with urea but not for milorganite compared with urea So basically, I guess for some reason, I guess what they're saying is, is that the milorganite, because it requires microbial degradation or microbial breakdown, just didn't give them the release they needed to get the response they needed, whereas sulfur coat did. So they're kind of roughing up milorganite a little bit there. Because less nitrogen would be susceptible to movement by water, the use of slow-release in sources for fall applications may reduce fall and winter in leaching losses. They didn't measure slow-release in this study, so they're just postulating. They, they, have, they don't know if that's true or not. They're just saying that that could be the case. A few studies have found lower nitrate and leaching concentrations or losses from slow-release in sources or organic sources applied to cool-season turf than from immediately soluble sources. And I'll go over these papers. I will say this is that... Um, we've done a lot of leaching work in Florida, a lot, and um, sometimes slow release in sources do result in less um, nutrient leaching. But if applied correctly, the differences are negligible between soluble and slow release. When I say applied correctly, if if the soluble in source is applied according to the best management practice for that soluble in source, meaning you're not going out with two, three pounds of soluble nitrogen in you know december when the grass isn't growing you're applying you know half a pound no more than i think in florida the rate the maximum rate of soluble is 0.7 pounds which is another ridiculous story i'll tell you about sometime there's no evidence to support that but whatever it is what it is um so if you're if you're following that then the chances of you seeing a a reduction in nitrate leaching when the same amount of nitrogen is applied as a soluble slow release, sorry, it's slow release nitrogen is pretty low. And it's not because there's no difference between them. It's just because there's there's no really nitrogen moving from the soluble end source. I mean you you gotta really do some silly stuff with nitrogen to get to move through the soil profile in some cases. So um, anyway, he's saying in this case, these these particular authors, Easton Petrovic and Glårdenkopp and Grant they did show differences between the leaching of slow release versus the leaching of soluble. So it exists. My point is, yes, it exists in the literature, but also the opposite exists as well. you got to take each of those and 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 compare them to what situation you're in, right? And whether or not it's what's most representative of your situation in your ecosystem and, and your, your uh, turfgrass grass uh, expectations. Coming to the end here. Applying fall fertilizer improved turf color and increased shoot density, chlorophyll concentration, reflectance index, and clipping yields in our cool season turf lawns. However, no differences in color, clipping yields, or chlorophyll concentration, shoot density, or root mass were found among October, November, or December treatments. So just like I said, there's no differences between applying in October and December in terms of the turf response. In contrast to this, however, the data from this study suggests potential negative impact to water quality by applying fertilizer late in the fall. Both nitrate and concentrations and mass losses in percolate water increase with water, I'm sorry, with with later application dates. So they're just doing the same thing I just said. They're re, they're, I'm repeating what I've already repeated. <laughs> These findings suggest that, that the current recommendation of applying in nitrogen mid to late November in southern New England may not be compatible with water quality goals. Okay. Um so yeah, that's that's basically it. So that's that's that paper. Okay. The um, I have the worst time when I click that button. So I'm going to sum this whole thing up by saying, we I don't know how many papers we've gone over, but at this point, guys, but this was the first paper we talked about nitrogen leaching, the off-site movement, non-turfgrass uptake, basically, and we've we're building on on our knowledge. We're building on prior papers and that have shown soluble in in september october's probably wise soluble in and november's probably not too good of an idea not not too not not, not going to get you probably what you want in terms of turf response december actually i don't even know if we've got any papers that have gone all the way into december this paper did so the turf grass response it's like it seems like the line is probably somewhere around the october time frame if you really want to get your best bang for your buck And now this paper comes along and says more or less the same thing october is the same in terms of quality response and stuff as november and december in this particular paper so october is the line uh, agronomically for the turf response and september and october were lower concern lower risks than november and december in terms of environmental issues okay so um again I don't know I would actually like to know where all you where you all stand with this, these sorts of applications there's a there's a argument to be made if you're on a 6 week cycle or an 8 week cycle with your customers well if I start in September on an 8 week application cycle I'm not going to be done until the end of October versus if I start in at the middle of September I'm not going to be done till the middle of November you know so logistically I get it okay logistically I'm like well you know, there's not a whole lot you can do if you've got, you know, all these applicators going out and you're trying to get everything done and it still takes you eight weeks to get finished. In the end, the, the people at the beginning are very different than the people at the end of that eight week, you know, application cycle that you guys got, or I don't, I don't know if that's what you're working on or not, but, um, just keep that in mind is that some customers, you know, are, you know, well, we're on the same system. We're on the same um, agronomic program, whatever. Well, yeah, well you applied it in the beginning of October and this one you didn't apply until the beginning of December. So, you might just be aware of that if you get phone calls or if you have some un- unhappy clients, be aware of that. You know, there, there is an agronomic difference between those two months in the winter for cool season grasses when it comes to nitrogen applications and turf grass response. Okay. That's all I've got. I'll check through the, the chat one more time. If you got any questions? Now's the last chance to, to, to shoot something in the chat for tonight. Um, I'll go back and read some of the chat after I after I close it out. But um, let me read. Um, okay, let me read Western Mass's comment here: pH correction and temperature p- plus October application of slow and fast release nitrogen. I appreciate your insight. So I guess the question is, what do I think about fast and slow release applications in October plus a pH correction? I guess. I don't know what your pH is. I will say in general, pH corrections are oversold. If you're anywhere in the sixes, pH corrections are probably a waste of your money. Okay. The the, the question you have to ask is, are you actually going to see an agronomic response, a turfgrass response to a pH correction when your pH is already in the sixes somewhere? The likelihood is extremely low that you would. Now, if your pH is in the sevens or the fives, your likelihood of seeing a beneficial response to pH correction grows. It's increased because you're getting further and further away from, you know, the happy Goldilocks zone of 6.3 or 6.5, right? Um, so it all depends on your what your, your initial pH is, western mass turf, and it depends on what a turf, like, turf grass looks at that pH. I mean, I don't even know what my soil pH is on my lawn. I don't care what it look, what it is, because my turf looks fine. If there was some strange thing or some odd situation comes up, then I might look at it. But I've, ne- I've never once taken a soil test on any of my home lawns. I don't even know what the pH of my soil was in Florida. I have no clue. I don't know what it is here. I'm, I, I can guess it's probably in the low sixes, but I have no idea. So unless your pH is low and you have a turf grass issue, you know i wouldn't worry about it a whole lot unless you're way down low or way up high if you're in the nines or you're in the fours and that's you know very likely a i mean you very likely would see a response to doing something and when you're that extreme but (laughs) okay well there you go western master says 4.5 okay there you go so at that that low ph um you know, again, I, I, I hesitate to do anything unless I know what the turf looks like first. Okay, Western Mass. I mean, I, I would. You know, if the turf looks fine, the turf looks fine. But at four, or five, the chances are pretty good you're going to see a beneficial response from the application of lime to to get that up a little closer to the the six range. Okay, but um, I am. If you don't know by now, I want to make sure it's clear. I do not chase numbers. I chase turf. Okay, that's what I chase. I don't chase soil. I don't chase soil numbers. I I chase turf grass. That's what I want to see. And so regardless of what number you want to look at, you want to throw a soil sample up or whatever you want to do, that's all good. Those are all valuable in some cases. But all of that is secondary to what the turf looks like. What how is it performing? How is it growing? You know. That's what we're selling our, our, that's what's pumping the system. You know, that's, what's paying off our mortgages. That's what's, you know, (laughs) we have to keep the turf grass looking good. And I understand the risks get high down there, low in pHs and the risk gets high. I understand the risks of, I get that. And like I said, at four or five, you got a pretty good, you're extremely good risk of having some problems at that low, but you know. I, I, I would like to know what the turf looks like before I really start really, you know, changing, changing stuff up. If you have problems, then let's talk about it. If you don't have problems, then that would be problems. Something I would, I would say, Hey, keep an eye on this. You might want to move that up a little bit, but, um, I, I do not chase numbers and I don't, I don't want to condone or in any way, um, um, give the appearance that chasing numbers is, is appropriate. Okay. That we do not want to do that. Um, we want to be aware of some numbers, but just, um, doing phosphorus for phosphorus numbers and potassium for potassium numbers and pH for pH numbers is secondary to the, what the turf quality is and turf performance is. It should be used as a means to result in turf grass quality or, or performance or something like that. Okay. Okay, guys, I really appreciate you guys showing up. This is probably double the number I've ever had on. I think there's 28 at one time. I really appreciate you guys showing up maybe i should do more evening shows i don't know um i really appreciate everybody participating i will be back in 12 hours okay i'm doing another one on my normal morning show at 10am tomorrow morning and uh until then i really appreciate everybody showing up and having a a, a, a nice kind chat and uh i hope you guys you know learn something i always always learn something from you guys i really appreciate it i'll see you guys tomorrow morning 10am eastern time thanks everybody bye